it's very arrogant for any of us on our journey to throw rocks and think that the devil won't come after us in the area that we are attacking. And welcome back to the Chasing Elephants podcast. This is a once a week encouragement designed to be a helpful conversation for you. Um, If life is a journey, we want to help you wander well. If life is a story, we want to help you tell a good one. And so this week, Brent and I are joined with another amazing guest. Um, This is someone who is special to me and just uh, my childhood and growing up. And um, Brent has come to know him just in three years of ministry. And so both very special to us. And we're just very, very excited to have him on. So um, we have Sherwood church's pastor, Michael Catt, on his senior pastor. And so he's been a part of Sherwood for I think we're coming off of 32 years. Um, so thanks so much for being with us, Brother Michael. We're so, so excited. Um, and so Brent, why don't you kick us off with uh, just our first our first question? Yeah, well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, we're continuing in a series designed to accentuate the positive of leaders who have stayed faithful over the long haul. In a day and an age where there's a lot of bad headlines, where there's a lot of disappointment, where there's a lot of skepticism, let's be honest. What we're trying to do in this in this four or five part series is to introduce you to some or reintroduce some of you to some incredible leaders who we look up to personally. And they are leaders who have encouraged us, who have instilled a little bit of faith in our thinking about leadership and those who have great positions of influence because everybody we're interviewing has great position of influence. Now, the person we have today, I, I just got to say before before I ask him to introduce himself and let's get rolling this conversation, I, a lot of what I get to do in ministry, I get to do because of Dr. Michael Catt. And that's not blowing smoke. That's not an overestimation. That's not an exaggeration. I love writing. I love being an author. I have I, it's just it, it. I get joy from that. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. But I didn't think. I never even even thought about writing. I'd never even thought about publishing, and I didn't even know if I had that gift set. And I was uh, speaking at a conference in Washington D.C. Our SLU two hundred one program, and I remember teaching uh, a, a session that I thought, man, there's no way the students are going to want to hear this because it was a seventy minute ethic of decision making. And as soon as I stepped off stage, Dr. Michael Catt walked backstage and we had already known each other for several years at this point, but he literally puts me in a headlock and he, he whispers in my ear, I'm not letting you go until you promise me that that will be a book. And lo and behold, uh, that would lead to the book that is Chasing Elephants, the, the book out of the six that I've written that has sold probably the most copies, but <laughs> Um, I, I, so I just wanted to say the Bible teaches us to always give honor where honor is due. So I wanted to start with a note of honor. This is an individual that uh, I personally owe a lot to the well of gratitude runs deep. I could never repay him what he's given to me. I feel, I know Taylor feels the same way. So Dr. Cat, mm-hmm. brother, Michael, pastor, executive producer of everything on the planet that's a Christian movie, whatever title, your your brother Michael to us. We love you. Your pastor. Thank you for taking time to join us today. Oh, man, I'm glad to be with you. I love you guys. I love what you do and not just what you do, but the way you do it. And, and I'm honored to be here. 
Well, thank you, Doc. Why don't we just start off with this? What, you know, you've served at your present role of, of lead pastor, senior pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church, um, Sherwood Church. Uh, but would you just kind of provide for our audience? I could brag on and on about you all day, but would you provide for our audience kind of a almost like a little Wikipedia version of who you are, where you come from, how you came to lead that church for so, so many years? Brent, I don't think I can start anywhere except that I was saved in the Jesus movement. Mm. And uh, to, to say that I was a church kid that had religion, that knew the church answers, sat in the church pew, sang in the youth choir, and had no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the wow. Jesus movement that started in the 60s, moved across the country, went to New Orleans, uh, a guy named Leo Humphreys in New Orleans came to my hometown in Mississippi, and then others came. And uh, so after I was out of high school, I came to a personal relationship with Christ, and it was revolutionary. I mean, all I knew was religion, you know, mm. what you do and what you don't do. I don't yeah. smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do, you know. And <laughs> and we all had our rules, the nasty nine and the filthy five, and you know, if you didn't do those things, then, then you were a good Christian. But mm. it, there was no relationship. There was no power. Uh, there was nothing about the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Bible being a book that had something to say about the way I lived on Saturday night. Mm. And it did. And I got saved. And uh, in fact, uh, my wife and I, Terry, we, we met in a prayer meeting. That was going on uh, during the Jesus movement in my home church that got up to about 300 uh, wow. young students and college students. We met six nights a week, started at six o'clock at night, sometimes went to two and three o'clock in the morning. Wow. Saw people walk in off the streets to be saved, fall under conviction. We had no clue what we were doing, but somebody would walk in and say, you know, I'm addicted to drugs. And we just say, well, let's just get around them and pray and ask God to deliver them. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, he did. Wow. Um, then God called me into ministry, and I did youth ministry for 15 years, uh, really focused on discipleship. Uh, during that time, uh, during that little between going into ministry uh, and everything, I met Vance Havner, which revolutionized my life. I'll tell you about that a little later. So I did youth ministry for 15 years. Then I pastored in Oklahoma for three years, and I've been at Sherwood since 1989, going on 32 years. Um, I, I tell everybody I'm an interim pastor uh, because nobody is really the pastor mm. of a church. We're all interims. Yeah. No matter what our position is, no matter what our title is, no matter how many conferences we speak at, yeah. there's somebody that will follow us. God is not limited to us. It's his church. Yes. It's his yes. body. Uh, when I came to Sherwood, I inherited a very strong church, but it was legalistic. Mm. And by legalistic, I mean all caps, bold font. Uh, women couldn't mm. wear pants. 
King James Schofield only. Uh, and it, those were tough years. And I'm telling you, I, you know, I, I called Ron Dunn one time and I said, I got to get out of here. And he said, he said, oh, just shut up. And he hung up on me <laughs> uh, because he said, I don't, you know, basically he said, if God's called you, you can't leave until you're through. Mm. And so I preached through Galatians early on in my ministry, almost a year mm. in Galatians to teach the difference between liberty and legalism and license. Wow. wow. And I think the reason that I'm still here is because one of the first things we did was start a prayer ministry. Mm. And we talked about revival. And I would tell stories of the Jesus movement and say, I want to see God do that again. Before I die, I want God to sweep across this land and change a generation again. Wow. And then to talk about what it just means to live the Spirit-filled life and to walk in Christ. So that's kind of it's kind of my journey. I, I'm kind of a a, a 45 RPM, one hit wonder record. I got about three messages and they all end in Jesus. So <laughs> I don't know if I fully believe the last part of that answer, but, um, you know, doc, you, one of the things that we interviewed for this series, you're one of your close friends, pastor Ed Litton. Um, <laughs> he, anyways, he just said, would you please say he's my close friend? Cause that's, it's been my dream all these years. So the, if I fake it one day, I'll make it. So anywho, <laughs> he, uh, he said to us something that has stuck out to me ever since we interviewed him. He said, um, I don't know of another pastor who cares more about this generation than Michael Catt. Mm. Um, and he goes, you could say that 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever this generation is, whatever the next generation is, uh, he said he just was talking to us and he just said, Michael wants it. Michael wants because if the church does not actively pursue uh, and advance the mission of God to this next generation, then it has failed at its assignment. And he said, I think that Michael takes that assignment as serious as any pastor on the planet. Mm. So mm. Uh, with that in mind, you know, you care deeply about the next generation. There's some other things you obviously care very deeply about. What? Let's talk about motivation for a moment, um, the invisible labor that is the leadership of Dr. Michael Catt and and how that has contributed to your leadership. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe that's how, how that's contributed to longevity of service. But uh, what would you say are some of the motivating factors in, in your life and leadership? Well, when I came to Christ, uh, my pastor's son was also in ministry, and so he was promoted above all others. There were multiple guys and gals that went into ministry, but, you know, we never got to preach. We never got to do anything. It was just kind of his son. In fact, my pastor said to me when I said I was going into ministry, he said, I'm really happy for you, but I don't ever think you'll amount to much. Mm. And, um, you know, to talk about a, a devastating thing. I, so I think the power of words yeah. And the curse of words, uh, you know, Tom Elliff wrote a book on the, the curse of words and says, you know, so things that somebody has said to you that still haunt you, that in, unless you deal with it or die to it, uh, it will cripple you in your life and in your ministry. And all of us have had people say that, mm. yeah. you know, you can't speak, you can't sing, you can't write, you can't do this. 
And typically, those are people who will never try to do what you're trying to do. But Mm. they don't want you to do it. Right. But along that time, Vance Havner came into my life. And Mm. I just went up to him. You know, he was preaching youth night in my home church. I cannot believe my pastor had Vance Havner in. Uh, cause Havner was about as strong as garlic. And, uh, and, and I went you up to explain him. that for everybody to understand. Cause Vance Havner was, you're right. He was, he may have weighed a buck 30 soaking wet and yes. just, you know, just this, but a powerful in his and, content. Anointed yeah, and man. a nasal but voice. I mean, you know, so I, I went up to him and I said, would you mentor me? He said, well, son. What do you want me to do? And I said, well, I'd like to write you. I'd like to meet with you when you're in the area. I'd like to drive to see you. Uh, And so for the next 15 years, he and I developed a relationship. Mm. It is interesting, Brent, you know, you know, life is built on relationships. Yes, sir. Uh, Our relationship with Christ and our relationship with one another. And, you know, Jay talks about friends and, uh, when Havner died, almost to the day, God put Ron Dunn in my life. Mm. And when Ron died, Warren Wearsby was in the car with me. Wow. And we were riding down to Albany for him to do a conference. I'm telling you, it was like God said, I've got your back. I've got mm. your mentor. I've got the person that's going to speak into your life. And now, you know, in many ways, it's Tom Elliff, you know, and, and Tom's about 10 years older than me. But God has always given me older men to speak into my life. Uh, I mean, you know, some of them are old enough to be my grandfather. I mean, Vance Abner was old enough to be my grandfather. Yes, sir. Uh, Manly Beasley, you know, yes. spoke into my life. I mean, just tore me up about the life of faith and learning mm-hmm. how to believe God. And then you add to that the laymen who were in churches. And I think we undervalue the mm. men and women who are in churches that nobody knows their name that mm. stood with me and prayed for me and helped me. And I'll give you a for instance. When I went to Roswell Street to be the youth pastor, uh, when I left there, we had the fifth largest youth ministry in America. We were running about 525 students on Sunday morning. I had 94 youth workers. Wow. Out of my 94 youth workers, over half of them had been teaching youth for over 25 years. Goodness gracious. So youth ministers... We're coming and going, but you always knew that the Irbys were going to be the 10th grade directors. You always knew that Jim Nash was going to be the 12th grade director. You, I mean, there were just people that were sold out to serving students, to lay people that invested in their lives. Now, you know, somebody teaches and if their kid gets out of youth group, then they, they quit teaching. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a different mindset when I don't care who the kids are. I don't feel too old to invest in young people, so I'm going yeah. to do it. And then when I became a pastor, there were men who came alongside me. And as they did, that's when God began to birth in me somewhere in the 80s, 
our 90s, after I got out of youth ministry, you know, that phrase that's in our atrium, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. That's right. And I realized, man, you know, Miller Brewery spending more in a month to get kids to drink their product than all the churches in Albany will spend in a year on everything. Hmm. But it's about passion. It's about passion. If we're not passionate for the next generation and they're going to come in, look different than we think they ought to look. And the problem with the church, I think, for my generation is we want the younger generation to clean up and then come to church. Hmm. That's not the gospel. Mm-mm. That's religion. And yeah. we have to understand we're a generation away from extinction. And and the next generation's not going to do things like we did it. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I hope at 68 years of age, I've still got an ability on some level to relate to a younger generation because I want, to, I want them to experience what I experienced, a fresh touch of God that sweeps across this nation in evangelism and in discipleship and missions. That, mm-hmm. That's what I want to see happen. Yeah. yeah. And speaking as a student who's grown up in uh, the student ministry that you, as you've led the church, um, I just want to just encourage you of that is how it has felt. And I know again, that there you've helped to put leaders in place Um at Sherwood, at the church that you've led, just to where they are able to encourage students to come as they are. and But you have helped lead that charge. And again, I do want to take the moment to emphasis, emphasize what you said that is hanging in our atrium, hanging in Sherwood's atrium of whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And that is something that I remember, I mean, probably since I was eight years old, which is a long, long time ago now. No, Uh, it's not that long. (laughs) A long, long time ago now. (laughs) That even makes me feel old for you to say it. Y'all feel better about it. Just just kidding. Um, But a long time ago in where I have been hearing that since then, and it was probably going on before, you know, I can remember. And so being faithful in that cause in and of itself has truly empowered just so, so many students. And I can speak for myself and I can speak for a lot of people I know who went through the student ministry of having a pastor who encouraged students and saw the most in them and saw the best in them when there are still so many other things that you could have seen in that student. Um, and, you know, where maybe they weren't you know, doing or living as they should have, or whatever it might've been, whatever their story was, you saw the best and that's what you pulled out. And, um, so again, I just wanted to encourage you in that of, you have led the charge just within your generation of pastors, but then also just the generations below you now, because of how, um, you have invested in the next generation. But I do want to kind of switch gears a little bit too, though, in, since we are talking about pastors who have been faithful in ministry and again, emphasizing you being at Sherwood for 32 years, but then also even longer in ministry before that, um, we've talked about relationships. And so we've talked about your mentors, but what are some practical steps that help position the leader for 
a leader as yourself for longevity. So disciplines, habits, what are some things that you do um, to help position yourself to where you are able to be faithful in your everyday, in the small moments and in the large moments? What are some of those? Well, uh, about two years ago, uh, we put up another big sign in, in our atrium that says prayer leads us to love God, grow together, serve others, and change the world. Mm. It all begins with prayer. I mean, if it's not birthed in prayer, it's probably birthed in my flesh. Um, (laughs) I used to say to the pastor, some of you think the only way you can get an idea is from somebody else's church bulletin Mm. um, or their website. You know, we're going to steal that idea. And what I quickly discovered in Albany, and, you know, by the way, most churches are in smaller areas in Orlando and Atlanta and Dallas and other. There are thousands of churches and thousands of youth pastors in smaller places. That's right. Is is that you can't take what a guy is doing with his own youth building and tens and tens of thousands of monies and budget and everything else and transplant that into a church where you've got 10 students. Mm. You know, you got to find what does God want you to do where you are. Yeah. And God has to give you a vision for where you are and for what you have in front of you. Uh, I know a church in, in, uh, the, in, I think it's in the Houston, Texas area, that when we did Facing the Giants, it was all senior adults. They didn't have one young person in their church. And so, you know, they go to support this Christian movie, and we're just going to all go support this Christian movie. And they go see Facing the Giants, and they come back, and they start having this discussion probably over grits or something. And they (laughs) said, you know, there's a high school across the street from us. What if we offered to feed the football team? Mm. And today they have a youth ministry. Hmm. A church with no kids got a vision that they could do something for the kids that were in their community. And these people old enough to be the grandparents of these students loved on these kids and started seeing kids saved. Uh, I think so. I think prayer is foundational. I don't think you get through the battles of ministry. I think anybody that tells you this is the perfect church, this is the perfect town, this is a perfect place. They're lying to you. And they say, well, I need to leave this church because people are giving me trouble. Man, those people have relatives in every church. (laughs) And they breed. (laughs) And and if you don't understand that, you're going to be running all your life. But if you're a man or a woman of God, until God releases you, you can't go. Yeah. You have to stay, and you have to do hard things, and you have to take hard stands, and you may lose some people that don't like you. And you say, well, they may fire me. And I, you know, when we do the refresh conference, I say, look, I've been fired twice. It's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, if you're going to get fired, get fired for standing up for God. Yeah. Don't get fired because you're a knucklehead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so prayer can't be an add-on. It's it's a vibrant thing. Um, 
So I have a group of men that I've prayed with uh, every Wednesday morning. We meet for breakfast and we pray. I think another thing is, you know, I work at preaching through the scriptures. I want to answer, ask and uh, seek answers to the questions. Well, what does God say about this? Mm-hmm. And the one thing about preaching through a book of the Bible is you can't avoid the hard topics. Yeah. I mean, you can't preach through Romans and just jump from Romans 8 to Romans 12. Yep. You got to go through 9, 10, and 11. Mm-hmm. And what we like to do is we like to jump to the duty part of Paul's epistles, but we don't like to wade through the doctrinal parts of Paul's epistles because there are various and sundry interpretations of those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, and I try, another thing I've tried to do, uh, Brent, is I've tried to bring in great preachers. Mm. I mean, you've preached here. Jay's preached here. Uh, Ron Dunn did 13 Bible conferences for me. Uh, you know, I, I'm not the guy that brings in his best friend from college because I feel like I owe him a favor. Hmm. I want the guy to preach and people say, man, he's better than Michael. <laughs> I mean, we, we need to have him back. Yes. And I think folks need to hear other voices because oftentimes God will wed those voices with what I've been saying. And they'll say, I've never heard that before. And I'm standing there saying, I must have said that 175 times. I can't believe y'all weren't listening. But I, I think I think exposing kids to people that have some meat on their bones, who who don't just, they're not just there trying to be cute or funny or to win a popularity contest, but they're trying to show you that following Christ matters, but it will cost you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another quick thing is I, I set it aside all day Tuesday, uh, most of Wednesday and Fridays for studying and preparing sermons. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just need time to think. Yeah. You know, I, I was a really good C minus student. And, and I need time to think. And, and so what I do is, and I take study breaks. I did this when I was a youth minister. When I went to church, I would say, can I have at least one or two weeks out of the year that I could go off somewhere by myself or with another youth pastor and just take some books with me and pray and figure out, you know, what I want to talk to our kids about. Right. And uh, so Typically, when I come back from that, I know what series I'm going to do for the next three to six months. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just discipline. I mean, I do a study week now. I do probably five weeks a year of study weeks. And my first couple of days are just to decompress and go eat pancakes at Pancake Pantry in Gatlinburg. And, <laughs> and then, uh, then, but when it starts cranking, I mean, Brent, you know this as a writer. Yeah. When it starts cranking, I mean, I can't make my hands type fast enough. It just starts flowing because I'm removed from the distractions. Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't get removed from the distractions, you're right in the middle of God speaking to you and the phone rings and you got to go do something else. Mm. Longevity means you have to come apart. Jesus said, come apart and rest a while. Vance Havner said, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. Mm. 
Mm. And I think there's a lot of burnout. Yeah. I think we're going to come out of COVID and guys are going to be bailing on the ministry like crazy. One survey says 50 pastors a week are leaving the ministry. And I believe it's because they are not getting alone with God and just listening. Hmm. Hmm. Well, good gracious, we could do an entire talk at SLU around that one answer to the to a yeah. question in an interview. There was a, there is a lot it's there. Like, sorry, <laughs> no, that was awesome. That, was, that great. was amazing. That I'm sitting here taking notes as fast as mm-hmm. I can, and I, I it really hit me as a on a very personal level because a big part of what I do is preaching ministry. Uh, you know, and it's so easy. You're right. It is so easy to just skip to the application part of what Paul. It writes, particularly in, in Romans, his heaviest, his theologian said that was him at the top of his game, you know, mm-hmm. letter. But it's, it's, uh, boy, it's pointless to do that if you don't, if you're not willing to wade through the, the, the doctrinal aspect of what he's teaching. So, well, and I'll, and I'll just say quickly, uh, and I don't remember who said this, but I stole it and made it my own, uh, about <laughs> Romans 9, 10, and 11 about the doctrine of salvation and the salvation of the Jews and everything else. And I said, you know what it sounds like to me when I get into theological discussions with people? It sounds like a bunch of beggars arguing Mm. about wallets, and they're all broke. (laughs) That's a great line. That's That's good. That so, is so good. You know what? That could be applied to uh, some of the social media discussions that are going on here. Yes. Yes. Leave that one alone. Um, you know, Doc, y- 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 we've talked about motivation. We've talked about practices for longevity. You've, you've shown us those those aspects of your life and ministry or explained them. Um, as you know, when you have those disciplines and those that rhythm in place, it affords you to serve over the long haul. And when you serve over the long haul, what we're learning is that there are certain themes, ideas, projects that you become known for. So we can't really talk about your life and leadership without mentioning um, this massive medium called film and movies that you looked at and said, there's something we can redeem here. And, you know, so, so as we look at life and leadership and would you say that um that sherwood pictures is is one of those big when you you know one of those big causes one of those big themes however you want to word it but would you say that's something that you would say yeah that that is that is a reflection of both how god has wired me and um, a dream that God gave me to a vision of what I wanted to see accomplished in my ministry. So yes, that's a that's an intentional theme in my in my life and leadership. Yeah, uh, and it began uh, actually 
uh, I'm, I may give you a longer answer than you want here, but it began with a conversation with Alex Kendrick and I. We were on a staff retreat in Orlando at Disney World, and I was taking staff members one at a time and asking them the question, where do you see yourself in three to five years? Mm. And Alex said, I'd really like to make movies, but I don't think I could be on a church staff and do it. And I tell people I must have had a quiet time that day because I said, why not? Mm. Give me a script and give me a budget and let's see if God's in it. Wow. So he came back with Flywheel, which most, which I think is the best movie we ever made, not quality-wise, but story-wise. I love the story of Flywheel. And we did it for $20,000. We didn't have a committee. We didn't have a fundraising campaign. I got up on a Sunday morning, and I'm sure Taylor was there. And I said, God's led us to make a movie, and it's going to cost us $20,000 to make it. And if you want to be a part of it, you can give. And if we don't get the 20000 we won't make it. Mm. And within two weeks, we had the $20,000. Widows wow. giving a dollar, $3, $4, somebody giving $100. And that's where it all started. And we did it as an Easter project. How can we make something that our members could give to their friends and their neighbors as a gift at Easter as a tool at the front door to say, hey, and I'd also like you to join me at church on Easter Sunday. Yeah. So we did Flywheel with one camera. Alex directed it. He called action. He moved in front of the camera. He did his scene. He paused. <laughs> he called cut. He went behind the camera and he cut the camera off. That's amazing. Uh, we opened in a massive three theaters. <laughs> and it ran for six weeks in our local theater and outdrew the Matrix Reloaded. Oh, wow. In Albany, Georgia. That tells you how old the movie was. Uh, you know, my wife loves movies. She was on the she was the head of the casting team and uh, she was the head of costuming. Uh, Aaron and Haley both worked at Disney. So, I mean, it's in our blood. Yeah. In yeah. our family. But it was a step of faith. Mm. You know, it was a step of faith. And by the way, with Flywheel, uh, it's it's sold more than 700,000 DVDs Goodness as a $20,000 movie. Wow. Uh, our movies have been shown in Jordan, in Iraq, in Russia. And I mean, they're being bootlegged in China, which I just that's one of my favorite stories. Uh, mm -hmm. We're exporting, you know, the gospel to China. Um, it, I, I saw a statement. I can't remember. I think Mark Batterson said this, and I asked him if I could steal it, that movies are the stained glass windows of the 20th century. Wow. So, you know, you go to Europe and you take SOU to Europe and they see these old cathedrals and these stained glass windows. Well, with an illiterate people, a mom or a dad could explain a gospel story by just looking at a stained glass window. Yeah. And that's what movies are. And the Bible is full of stories, yeah. redemptive stories, stories of hope, stories of grace, stories of forgiveness. And I, I can't begin to tell you the thousands and thousands of emails that we've gotten, probably tens of thousands, 
of people that have been saved and lives that have been changed. But I'm going to, a little side note, we went down to Creative Workshop that Jay started and had for like two years. Yeah. And yeah. we were about to get in the car and go down there. And I said to Alex, take a couple of copies of Flywheel. Who knows who we'll meet? So we mm. went down there, didn't meet anybody in particular that we thought had anything to do with the movie business. And then we met David Nixon. Yep. David Nixon took the DVD. He said, I'll appease these guys by watching for watching 20 minutes of it. Before we could get home, he had called and said, I want to help. And so David was a key part of making Facing the Giants. Wow. Wow. So, you know, all those relationships began to build. I mean, we got a PG relation uh, rating on Facing the Giants, and the best is the best thing that ever happened to us. It was for high school football violence. <laughs> The Los Angeles Times on the front page said, PG means pro-God. Wow. It got me in the Speaker of the House office, uh, Roy Blunt, has got me in his office with some other congressional people. I was up there for SOU 201, had to leave and go spend the morning there. Wow. They wanted to talk about why we got a PG rating. What was in this movie that caused them to give a, a Christian movie a PG rating? Uh, we ended up on the Dr. Phil show with Fireproof. Uh, Alex and I and Kirk Cameron ended up on Dr. Phil. He endorsed Fireproof, probably added another 500,000 people in the seats. Wow. All from a church in Albany, Georgia. And I had a guy that called me. I'm sorry this answer's long. Uh, no. I had a guy that called me, and he, and he just picked up. It's a guy I've known for years. He said, hey, buddy, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. He said, you know, you weren't God's first choice. I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> he said, you know, he started in Los Angeles. He said, anybody here want to make some out-of-the-box faith-based movies? Nope. So he went down to Phoenix. Anybody here? Nope. How about in Dallas? Anybody here, any church here want to make a movie? Uh, nope. How about New Orleans? Nope. And he said he got all the way to Albany, Georgia, and he found some fool for Jesus that was willing to say yes. Wow. That was willing to say, why not? Right. Why not? Uh, that's the phrase. If you're listening, ladies and gentlemen, I, uh, unless you're driving down the road, but if you have the ability, I just, I wrote that down really in kind of all caps letters on my, on my little pad here that I used to take notes as I listen. Uh, why not? I mean, I just think that should be kind of plastered across the doorway every, every morning when we wake up and walk through it. Why, why not? Why not today? Why not ask God to use us to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine? I mean, when you look at the story of, of the films that have come out of the collaboration at Sherwood, uh, much under your leadership, Doc, it is a story of why not? And uh, it's a beautiful story to be told. Well, and I would I would add to that, um, you know, the Irwin brothers were on our second unit during Courageous. Mm -hmm. And Alex asked uh, John Irwin, he said, what's your purpose? Because those guys made ESPN commercials. They did all the casting crowns and third day videos and everything. And 
And that's where it birthed in John and Andy Irwin that they needed to make Christian films. Hmm. And so, you know, they did October Baby, Mom's Night Out, Woodlawn, I Can Only Imagine. Uh, you know, and, and that was just like God took a seed and he planted another tree. Mm. Mm. You, you never know what God's going to use in your life to bless somebody else and to cause somebody else to to step up to the plate. That's right. That's right. You know, we're doing this series, Doc, and I, I love, I mean, these stories are so important to know, to share, to pass down in one sense, because um, as you and I both know, and as Ms. Taylor knows, and we've all talked about it offline, that there is a, a growing mistrust um, among leaders and uh, among leaders, amongst, among this generation and how they view leaders who have served for a period of time. There's almost an assumption, uh, unfortunately, that there must be some skeletons in the closet, that there must be a double life somewhere. I mean, we've we've most recently been stunned to our core by uh, the double life that was Ravi Zacharias, and there's there's others right. we could go on and on and on. I, I just wanted to give you a moment as we kind of come to the the end of our conversation, and and, and uh, Taylor has some incredible, real practical leadership questions she wants to ask before we get done, but. If you could just say something to this generation, I know that may sound arrogant. We don't, this podcast isn't the podcast for all of this generation, but we do have a, a good contingency of our SOU students and beyond uh, who listen quite regularly. And I, if you could say something to uh, somebody in their young 20s, a young adult, or somebody just getting close to graduating high school, and, and if you could say something about the leaders that they look up to and now feel a little skeptical about, uh, what, what, how, how would you encourage them? Well, years ago, I heard Chuck Swindoll say, the only thing that belongs on a pedestal are flowers in the bust of dead men. Mm. And I think we have made idols and mm. celebrities uh, out of our leaders and forgotten that they are frail flesh. Mm. Yeah. And that failure is a fact of life. I mean, we all fail. You know, the problem is we point fingers and we say, that guy's a failure. But, you know, we, we got a lot of people that are have secret sin that hasn't come out yet. Mm. But I read my Bible and it's full of failures. I mean, God used nobodies and losers and failures. Mm. David, Peter, Abraham, Noah. Uh, I mean, you name it, they failed. Now, I'm not justifying failure. I'm not saying, well, you know, just ignore this. I'm simply saying it's very arrogant for any of us on our journey to throw rocks and think that the devil won't come after us in the area that we are attacking. Mm. Mm. You know, because the the devil will come after you. If you say, oh, I'll never do that. I would never do that. Get ready for the temptation. Get ready for the temptation. And again, that's not an excuse. It's a simple reality. What I have said when I was in a youth pastor and uh, I said, you know, you follow me as far as you see me following Christ. And if I quit following Christ, get around me as quick as you can and keep mm. going. Mm. Because integrity matters. Character matters. It's one of the reasons why I read a lot of books by dead men. 
Yeah. Uh, because they finished their course and they've run their race. I mean, wow. so I just read the other day that in the two years after Spurgeon died, there were 24 biographies written about him. Mm. That's mm. incredible. Yeah. And I love to read biographies of people who have died, not somebody that wrote their own story. <laughs> we but, got a few of those out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, not here's how I became great and how you can become great too. Uh, but biographies of people who, like I've read biographies of people who knew Spurgeon or people who followed yeah. Spurgeon. Archibald Brown, it was a phen it's a phenomenal story uh, of his ministry that, that Spurgeon loved. And, and I'm not just throwing Spurgeon out there, but why did God use these people? Hmm. Most of them, it's because they were vulnerable. They were broken. They hmm. had survived some great hurt or loss. But many times it's because somebody had poured into their lives. Yeah. Uh, that's why, you know, when Jay called me years ago, first SLU and said, I need a guinea pig group. We sent a group. Yeah. I mean, I think it was Sherwood and New Hope and Fayetteville. Yeah. You know, we sent two groups to SLU because I believed in it because I knew Jay was a dreamer. Yes. And he was a maverick and he wasn't scared to think outside the box. I mean, we, we throw rocks at mavericks and then we build statues to them when we find out that they did the right thing. Wow. <laughs> and usually we build the statues out of the rocks we threw at them. That's, that's a good word. Yeah, it's a good word. But, you know, I, I think what what you do is you look for somebody that's willing to risk. And typically in risking, we fall down, mm. especially when we try to do it in our flesh. And, you know, God will share his glory with no one, Brent. We know that. Yes, sir. He shares his glory with no one. If we start taking credit for our ministries and, you know, look how great I am and look at what I've done. And, you know, if everybody was like me, uh, I mean, God hates pride. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he exposes pride. Uh, mm -hmm. Quick, another quick story. I was talking to a pastor. You, you know him. I won't name him on this podcast, but. I mean, he's had 679 people saved in the last nine weeks mm -hmm. in his church. And, and we're talking about every seven to 10 days about prayer and revival. And so he said, what I need to be reading, I, you know, I, you know, I'm a discipleship guy. I don't I don't know anything about revival. He said all those revival guys were guys like you. And we just thought, well, that's nice. But, you know, we're we're into something else. And I said, you need to read Manly Beasley's biography and you need to read Ron Dunn's biography. He calls me up. He said, who is this guy and how did I miss knowing him? Mm. And I said, it's because our seminaries are teaching doctrine and theory, but they're not teaching us to look for the people that have walked the walk of faith. Mm. Goodness gracious. Wow. You know, the people that have gone before us, and most of them have had a hard time. You know, that's why, um, you know, I, I read biographies because I want to know why did God use this person? 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The before we go on to these final rapid fire questions, you know that 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 gentleman, he is a friend of yours, a friend of mine, and he's. But you know, you the more I listen to you, I mean, there's one picture that I saw weeks and weeks ago. There, that revival that you mentioned, and it, it was all they do primarily is pray. Yeah. Yep. They just get on their knees and pray, and then they don't yep. stop praying until that they they feel like they they're supposed to either get up or they see the fire of God fall down on the service. And yep. um, so I, I just just to echo something you said earlier in the conversation, prayer precedes God moving in our lives uh, in a way that astounds people around us. Yeah, um, yeah. And he he does resist the proud, but he does give grace to the humble. Uh, but let's we want to, we don't want to miss this opportunity also to ask you some some very practical questions because there is an a, a application side of 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 what we do where we want we want young men and women to be able to go okay here's three things I can do here's a book I need to go get here's some action steps I can take and so anyways I, I say all that to say we've got a handful I think Miss Taylor of rapid fire questions yeah. yeah all right first one and rapid fire meaning just one quick answer. You can know, I we call a lifeline. Can, you can. We can see one. <laughs> Maybe just one or one. We'll see. Okay. Um, okay. The first one we have is: What's the best book that you've read this past year? Well, I, actually, it's a book I'm reading right now, rereading for. Uh, they found the secret, which is mm-hmm. the story of about thirty people and how they they discovered what it meant to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. It's just a reminder to me that every great person got desperate for a touch from God. Mm. That's good. Um, Okay, next is, could you list just a few habits uh, that will help us to continue to grow in our thinking? I I think having a study time, a study break, like if you can get it, it, I would ask the personnel committee of your church if you could have it. Uh, I used to have a sign on my study door that said, unless you're planning on preaching Sunday, don't knock. <laughs> um, oh. I, I never go out on Saturday nights because I want to be rested up and I want to reflect on Sundays. Mm. Um, I've discovered it's okay to repeat yourself. And by that, I don't mean going back and rehashing sermons. Here's what I mean quickly. The people that are in Sherwood now were not in Sherwood when I came here. And the truths that I taught 30 years ago, 20, 10, five years ago, these new believers don't know those. And so I need to find ways to weave those in. So for I'll just give you a quick, for instance, uh, you know, seven or eight times a year, I'll say, you know, Manly Beasley defined faith as believing that it's so when it's not so because God said so, so that it'll be so. And I'll just, throw that in to a sermon. Now, I've probably said that 50 times, and I'll probably say it 50 more if God gives me breath. Hmm. Uh, another one is uh, the thing I do is I shared a story one time that it is said of Spurgeon that when he went to the pulpit that those on the platform could hear him mumbling under his breath and his hand shaking, I believe in the power of, of the Holy Spirit. Wow. wow. If Spurgeon was mumbling and his hands were shaking, who am I to strut? Yes. Yes. That's, That's good. good. 
Um, all right. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Sitting in Vance Havner's uh, apartment nine months before he died, waxing eloquent about how great I was doing and what I was doing. And he put his arm on hand on my arm and he said, now, son, I've been young and I've been old and you've just been young. So why don't you be quiet and listen for a while? <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Last one. What is your ideal daily routine look like? So whether that's your morning routine or maybe it's your Sabbath on Sunday, just what's your, one of your ideal daily routines? Well, I get up, I make a cup of coffee. I sit down and read the scriptures. Uh, I pray over my neighborhood. I've got an app that gives me the hundred people that live around me, hundred homes, mm -hmm. Um, I really need to exercise more, but I'm going through cancer treatments, and so it's impacted me with fatigue. Mm -hmm. uh, my daily ideal routine is I've learned that there are no routines. Mm -hmm. There are disciplines yeah. that we have to practice in the midst of disruptions. Wow. Because wow. your one phone call, one doctor's visit, one moment away from not being in control of your life. Yeah. You have to be disciplined in the midst of your disruptions because every day we are disrupted. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Discipline in the midst of your disruptions. That's amazing. You, you know, you mentioned it, so I, I didn't want to bring it up if it was something we shouldn't bring up or would be insensitive to bring up in any way. But how can, uh, how can our students, this will air in the next few weeks, so... How can our students, how can our listeners, how can we be praying for you as you go through this this cancer, uh, this battle with cancer and the treatments that you're experiencing? Well, I, I appreciate it, Brent. I mean, you know, um, I'm, I'm a realist, but I also believe that God can touch and heal. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not a God, God, my God is not a vending machine. Yeah. where I can go and get what I want when I want it. And uh, I would just ask for prayer, for grace, and for strength. And if it's God's will to touch me and heal me, I'd like to give. I'd like for him to give me more years to do ministry. I still feel like I've got a lot to do. But at the same time, you know, use your analogy you want to use. I'm in the fourth quarter. I'm rounding third. I need to make sure I use my time wisely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, we will, we will commit not just internally uh, to pray, but I, I know many of our students um, uh, will commit to that end as well. In fact, I'd like to just take a quick uh, second to say, ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you, as you're listening to this, um, you can go uh, on whatever your, your whatever your social media choice of poison is, but um, Dr. Cat's Twitter handle is at Michael Cat. And Taylor, let's post that in the comments below. But at okay. Michael Cat. Cat is spelled C A T T. Um, would you do me a favor, ladies and gentlemen? Would you make sure that you take a moment today, pray for Pastor Michael? And then send him um, in our modern era day of encouraging notes of, 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 of sending a note. Will you send him a message on social? Just say, "Hey, Pastor, thank you for taking time with Chasing Elephants podcast and SLU, and 
thank you so much for your voice. And just, I want you to know you were prayed for today. I'm going to ask everybody listening to this podcast when it's released, mm. that, that uh, you would just take that step. Uh, um, yeah. Even if you have to hit pause right now on the episode to do that, but it's at Michael cat. And, uh, and please, uh, please, please, if you, if you'd do that, well, doc, uh, you have no idea how grateful you can't see the text messages that Taylor and I are sending back and forth, but it's, it's all fire emojis. I'll just say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, I, I, I mean, I really have to say, um, how proud I am of both of you mm. uh, in, in more ways than I will ever be able to express this side of eternity. I am, mm. I am so proud of both of you and, and who you are and what you are in Christ and how you're allowing God to use you and the influence that you have on the next generation. I mean, honest to goodness, uh, Brent Taylor, you, you guys give me hope. Mm. Uh, you give me hope. You 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 are an answer to the prayer wow. for the next generation. Wow, wow, that is so kind. <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time just to be on today and just this series and these conversations I'm just so so excited about and that's one of the things Brent and I were texting back and forth was it's just there's so much good truth that is in these and I just cannot wait um, for people to listen to these and Mm. just to hear uh, just people who have been in the ministry and just who have wisdom and so again it just means the world for you um, or for for us to be um, just able to listen to you and learn from you and for you to be on with us today. But um, Mm -hmm. for those listening, that concludes uh, today's podcast episode. And so thank you for listening and taking the time out of your day and your routines. Um, And again, we are here every Thursday and would love for you to come back each week. If this is your first time, hey, welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, If you want to subscribe, please be sure to do so uh, so you can know when we have the next episode up. But again, thanks for being here and um, I hope everyone has an amazing week. See you next time.